Welcome to Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFBA. Over the next hour, you'll be introduced to business and local leaders impacting our community. Text your comments or questions directly to the studio at 540-371-5756. Now, the host of Town Talk, Ted Schubel. The uh, Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park in this morning. Beth Parnitza and uh, Mary O'Neill here from the park. And we're going to talk about the uh, Overland campaign. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Ted. Good morning. There are a lot of events uh, going on uh, in uh, this this spring, starting in May, about the Overland campaign. It's 160th anniversary. I remember when the 150th was, a, a, was like a really big deal. It had its own book and all these kinds of activities. And that was 10 years ago. I know. Can you believe it? We're getting really old, Ted. I know. I, I was just going to say, Beth, I've, and I followed you around on many of those, on yeah. many of those programs. But we're now to the 160th anniversary, and uh, we're going to run through all the uh, a, a lot of things that are going on. And I guess the the best way to start by talking about the Overland campaign is to talk about the Overland campaign. If anybody were ever to say, if this were a question on on Jeopardy, I guess you know, you know, name or you know one word to describe the Overland campaign. I mean, I guess I would say grant is what comes to mind, uh, but I, there's there's obviously much more to the Overland campaign than grant, but was he was sort of the, he, he sort of made it happen, didn't he? Or didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I was going yeah. say, what is, like, what is brutal? Yeah. I'm answering that as, <laughs> as a Jeopardy question, Okay. Right? It needs to be, what is something? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be like awful or or death, and I'm like, this is yeah. It's oh, a way to start um, off the show. Th- th- what yes. is <laughs> this is groundbreaking. Good, Mary. There yeah. could be other non nonviolent terms, um, but yeah. So so the Overland campaign is a fascinating period, part of the Civil War, because the war at this point um, has been going on for three years. Of course, the the nation, you know, the United States. And, and now, you know, the Confederacy, um, you know, looks so different from what it looked like in 1861. Yeah. Things have just changed in ways that were unimaginable. Um, the United States has embraced or had embraced emancipation as a policy. Um, but, of course, no one really understands what the implications of that are. No one understands what freedom is going to mean. Um, if newly freed enslaved people have rights are they citizens? What is citizenship? So these ideas are kind of swirling around the air. Um, in the Western theater, people like Grant have had some success. They've, you know, you know, Ed, you have this period in the summer of 1863 where Gettysburg gets a lot of attention for that victory, but you have Vicksburg um, in the West. The Confederacy is, is split along the Mississippi. Um, but still, there's there's... No one knows how the war is going to end at this point. Everything has changed, but no one knows what's happening. It's kind of like a plotting kind of there's, thing. There's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of things happening. Yeah. So, so Lincoln, in trying to manage the situation and also trying to maintain public support for the war, um, and that's important to remember, is that a lot of Americans are at this point, they're tired. They're tired of this. Mm. So Lincoln, there's an election coming up. 1864 is an election year, so he knows that he needs to maintain support for the war and prove to the American people that the war is the right thing to do, that the policies that they have chosen thus far, things like emancipation, are the right ways to do it. 
Um, and he needs to show some success. And he brings in Grant from the Western Theater in March, um, appoints Grant commander of all of the U.S. armies. This was a position that Congress like revitalized, um, brought back from, from wherever retired positions go. Um, but they bring back Grant, and Grant begins strategizing about the spring campaigns. And what Grant does in 1864 is he's looking at the whole of the war and coordinating the war effort through all of the fronts. So he's coordinating activity in the Western theaters, coordinating activity in the East. And he wants a lot of these assaults on the Confederacy to happen simultaneously to strain Confederate resources. Mm. Um, now, this is not like a, this is not a groundbreaking strategy, right? This is a strategy that lots of people had tried. It was actually very similar to you know, the initial like Anaconda plan way, way early on in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Grant does is really well is execution. Um, Grant has, has the plan, but he really follows through with it. So in the Eastern theater, what we have is Grant kind of following with the Army of the Potomac. He's not in charge of the Army of the Potomac. Meade is still in command of the Army of the Potomac, but he's going to be physically with with that army, um, and they get on the move in in early May and end up clashing with the Confederate Army, first at the Battle of the Wilderness and then at Spotsylvania Courthouse. Um, and but, there, too, when we talk about bloody, mm-hmm. really bloody battles, they are, especially, especially Spotsylvania Courthouse. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's a result of the sort of constant contact between the armies, which is part of Grant's overall plan, not to just hammer the Confederacy into nothing. So, well, he'd be okay with that. But so much as it is this idea of constant pressure, yeah. right? And like that the Confederacy won't have time to recover and resupply and re-restore its, its manpower, you know, and having pressure on all fronts as well as constant pressure here in the East where there's so much attention focused is a key part of his plan as well as you know being mindful of everything that mary just mentioned the sort of state of emancipation the state of uh, an election year um the state of of all of the armies you know currently on the move in the war so yeah grant is i think a lot of times one of the things that gets overlooked about the overland campaign and what's happening in the spring of 1864 is just the masterminded strategy that Grant is putting into place and his skillful execution of it, which I think Mary had a great point of like, lots of people had this idea because it's a good idea, but who can actually make it happen? Was he known for this? Because you, Mary, you mentioned, you know, that he'd been in other other areas. So Lincoln brought him in because he had seen him at work in, in other areas. He had, I mean, he had gotten multiple Confederate armies to surrender okay in in full right he was he was at one point the newspapers are calling him like unconditional surrender grant um like because that those were his terms yeah when when he would write to confederate general that was the the terms i think i think fort donaldson oh my gosh someone's going to call me out on that if that's not the right one um was the first one where he writes this yeah (laughs) he's like he's like no i'm i will accept your surrender um and that's not an exact quote but but grant had done (laughs) had done really well in the West, right? He didn't always do well, right? Each 
battle that he fought in, right? You you could look at individual points in the battle. You know, there's places in, in Shiloh where he received criticism. Um, however, the the big picture, Grant was really known for pushing until he succeeded. Mm-hmm. And if if he tried something and it failed, he was known for just sticking around and then trying something else until he found the thing that worked. Um, and that's really something that I think Lincoln appreciated in Grant. Um, Lincoln had a sense that some of the the generals of the Army of the Potomac um, were maybe procrastinating is the right word, or not not really using the full advantage that the United States has in this war, which is, you know, the United States has more supplies and more people, and the Confederacy doesn't, and we really need to take advantage of um, Lincoln at one point calls, oh my gosh, now I'm going to forget the quote. He's like the unfortunate math, but that's not the right one. There's, oh yeah. Oh, no, there's I know the numbers, and I, don't, and I forget yes. it, but... Grant understood that. Yeah. So when Grant gets to the wilderness, you know, the wilderness was not the actual battle itself. You know, the Army of the Potomac, you you could argue, performs, you know, not significantly better than it had in the past. The Army of the Potomac was a good army, but what, what Grant what Grant did was he decided not to disengage. At the end of there's there's two days of intense fighting, and and previously, the the sort of the trend for for this this Eastern theater had been the armies would disengage, and then you know the Army of the Potomac would would go back across the, ri- the river and rest and like kind of rehabilitate itself for a few weeks or a few months. Yeah, and Grant was not going to allow that to happen. You know, they were sort of at a stalemate at the end of the Battle of the Wilderness on May 6th. Both armies had performed well, but Grant said, maybe this isn't our field, but we're going to keep moving. Um, so there's that famous, famous, I always think of the sketch, um, and it's on like sepia paper and pencil sketch, but it's the soldiers who were cheering on Grant right after he he makes the decision that they're going to head south, head down the Brock Road, head towards Spotsylvania. Mary O'Neill is here. Beth Parnitza here from the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park. Good stuff this morning. We're talking about the 160th anniversary of the Overland Campaign that is coming up in the spring. And uh, there are events and uh, things that we're going to talk about. Uh, we're starting out by just talking about the, uh, the, the battles and the strategy itself. We'll take a quick break and come back. Got News Talk 1230 WFVA. Welcome back to Town Talk on News Talk 1230. You can weigh in about today's topic on Facebook at WFVA 1230 and by text at 540-371-5756. Here's your host, Ted Schubel. The 160th anniversary of the uh, Overland Campaign is going to be celebrated uh, or observed in the area this spring. And uh, we're talking about it with the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park this morning. Mary O'Neill and uh, Beth Parnitzi here. Mary, as you talked about, you know, kind of what led Lincoln to choose Grant. I mean, you, you can see the different thing, you know, the, you know, the, the, the stopping and the starting. I mean, we could see it even around, even around in, in, in this area. So I guess 
Grant coming in, this really in 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 his his stick to itness to to make sure this is what he was going to do. I mean, that was different. That that was what what really set him apart, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, Lincoln had had hopes that um, Grant mentions meeting Lincoln for the first time in his memoirs, um, which he hadn't he hadn't met Lincoln until until that march until he he comes east um interesting and the words that lincoln tells grant um i'll have it with me right here um it's not very different from things that the type of things that you read when lincoln appoints burnside and when lincoln appoints um hooker although hooker does have you know a letter from from lincoln that you know is is kind of really stark and, and a little different. But essentially, you know, Lincoln tells, tells Grant, I'm looking for someone to use, to use the army. I'm looking for someone to push the Confederacy. I'm looking for someone to, to really tackle the issue of the war. I'm willing to give you resources and support you. Um, but I want you to take the reins. You know, Lincoln acknowledges that he's not a military guy and, and acknowledges that he's had to make military decisions um, out of necessity, but he really wants hmm. someone to take the reins of the army and take that initiative and go for it. And he's, he's really hoping that Grant is going to be the one to do that. Um, and, and Grant, as it, you know, as it eventually, you know, turns out, um, is the one who does that. After the wilderness, there's, um, Grant sends word to Lincoln. Actually, I don't think he sends word to Lincoln. A reporter sends word to Lincoln through, through Grant, um, the decision to move forward from the wilderness. And he has this line that he's he's not going to be turning back, and the stories of Lincoln's response to that are just are just phenomenal, right? Lincoln is like ecstatic, yeah, that he has he's Grant did it, he did the thing that none of the other generals thus far, three years into the war, um, had done. You know, he suffered heavy heavy casualties, um, and Grant acknowledges that too. That's also something that Grant writes in in his memoirs. Um, you know, he understands the situation in the East. These armies are in the same, and, and think about this too from a public policy standpoint, right? How the American people are looking at this. This war has been going on for three years and these armies are in the same exact position they were in when it started. And that is That's, interesting. It's, it's wild, right? So, so Grant is looking at this and he understands that in order to make that push, there's going to be an enormous consequence and that consequences is gonna be casualties. That in order to keep fighting, in order to keep pushing at Lee, um, and Grant's orders to Meade are, are essentially to, to go after Lee. The, the target's not Richmond, the target is is Lee and 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 the Army of Northern Virginia, um, but Grant understands that in order to do that, his army is going to have to take casualties and a lot of casualties, and the Confederate Army is going to have to take a mm -hmm. lot of casualties, because when you look at the casualties thus far, and when you look at 
the fact that the armies are in the same place, if you want to change that situation, he's going to have to push the armies more. Um, and, and the result of this is that you do, especially after a battle like Spotsylvania, where the armies are clashing again and again in this almost stalemate kind of position, but Grant keeps pushing pushing the U.S. Army forward, um, you, you have this, like, Grant the Butcher... Um, image emerging mm-hmm. in in the press because there are so many casualties and it is overwhelming um, the just the army infrastructure and the hospitals to deal with it um, but I, I think for us it's it's you know important to add perspective to that idea of, of Grant the Busher that that he was he was not just fighting an army of attrition he was looking at the situation and strategically deciding that we're gonna have to do this you know, it's it's not attrition for the sake of attrition. It's it's attrition because there's very few other options left. Boy, in what you mentioned when you when when you talk about over three years of being in the same place, because we see it here when you you basically look at the, uh, the the Battle of Fredericksburg, and then in the following spring you've got Chancellorsville, and then the next year you know we're at, at where we're at, where we are now with with Wilderness and Spotsylvania. So. Yeah, that was that you, you 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 can you can see that in this area. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and you can see the need sort of the need to push, you know, I think Mary brings up a really good point about this sort of um war of attrition that a lot of people just say, "Oh, well that's what happens once Grant comes into into play." And to some degree it does, but I think it is really worth pointing out that there is a reason for that kind of of warfare that Grant is pushing. You know, it is at, at its base, this is a war, you know, this is not going to be uh, something that, that America can escape without casualties. The war to this point has proven that this is not just a handful of, of quick battles with short losses or small losses. You know, this is going to be the grim reality that 1864 brings to us. And, you know, Grant does bring strategy. He brings human feelings. There's, um, accounts of him after after some of the fighting in the wilderness just throwing himself on his cot and crying uh, because as a leader he feels the losses that that you know he is ordering to take place but you also see this progress that ultimately gets the army into the outskirts of richmond and staying there unlike in 1862 when they just kind of popped in to say hello to richmond right and then were ultimately pushed out you know um to, to settle into that siege of Petersburg that is the beginning of the end, you know, Grant recognizes that it's going to take losses and it's going to take the grim determination of the country to stick with the war effort and sustain those losses if they really want the outcome. And it's, to me, it's just that kind of reflection of the grim realities of war where nobody wants to see those casualties. They're going to pin the blame on, on Grant, but at the end of the day, Again, you're in a war. The whole point is people dying. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just the awful reality. Now, and you um, in, 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 in you also couched in the whole thing, as, as Mary mentioned a few minutes ago, about the fact of the Emancipation Proclamation and the election. So there really were some, there were just so many things, the dynamics. Yes. Yeah. The, I mean, the risks being taken the potential outcomes and changes, I mean, 
especially looking at emancipation hanging in the balance for this, uh, you know, and in and really the entire war effort, you know, are we looking at two countries? And if so, then what is the status of all of the enslaved people throughout the South who haven't either had the opportunity to escape to freedom or who have chosen not to because of family ties or because of other just reasons that they can't get to union lines? And, you know, all of that is is yet undecided and undetermined in the spring of 1864. And you think of this area of how much it's gone through with Fredericksburg and especially Spotsylvania, you know, here that, you know, there, oh, you yeah. know, here we here we go again kind of thing. And it all has happened in Spotsylvania in the in you know, in May in the spring. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean in Fredericksburg becomes a city of hospitals as we've talked about before, you know, it just the whole countryside overrun with armies that have been here again, as Mary said, for, for years at this point. We've got the casualties flowing in. You've got the dead to be buried. You've got, you know, what civilians may, may remain. You've got a lot of the enslaved people in this area have already moved on to freedom and are living in refugee camps somewhere. You know, it's, it's, it's complicated, and the Fredericksburg area has really borne the brunt of war for a long time at this point. Lots of uh, programs uh, coming up uh, in in May to talk about the, the Overland campaign. And boy, you, you, you think of the anniversary programs you did and, and, and this. You all have just done uh, just a tremendous job over the years of being able to tell the story. And that's why I mean, we're so fortunate to have these these programs that we're going to we're going to talk about as we go along this morning. So. Thank you for all of you putting all of this this together. And, and Mary, you obviously have done a great deal of reading about General Grant. Lots of, well, as it happens, um, we do run, one of our programs is a book group. Um, it's a partnership with the, the Central Rappahannock um, Library. We meet at the Fredericksburg branch. And this month's reading, which is, which is tonight, we meet um, first Thursdays at 6 p.m. is Grant's Memoirs. Um, so that's very exciting. So anyone who wants to come, um, it's open open to the public. Um, we are going to be shifting to first Wednesdays soon, but all of that information is on our website. Okay. So we do lots of reading. Yeah. So yeah. So Grant's memoirs is is fresh and fresh in my in my brain. Um, but we try to do a combination of things. And something actually that's you know, we think about trying to understand and learn about the Civil War and the time period. There's an overwhelming number of books and primary sources and secondary sources um, things that people wrote at the time things that historians have written fiction based off of this period mm -hmm. um, so we try to cover kind of a hodgepodge of all of those things but yeah grant's memoirs fresh in the brain yeah no just just fascinating stuff there are a number of programs that are going to be taking place in uh, in may to uh to lead up and in, in, in during the 160th anniversary of the overland campaign we'll talk about that next uh, mary o'neill beth parnitza here from the fredericksburg and spotsylvania national military park more on news talk 1230 wfva it's 8 31. From the Fredericksburg.today online news studios, this is News Talk 1230 WFBA, Fredericksburg, a centennial broadcasting station focused on Fredericksburg. This is Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFBA. Hear the show anytime by subscribing to the Town Talk podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And now, here's your host, T. 
Ted Schubel. Beth Partnett and Mary O'Neill here this morning from the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park. This is the 160th anniversary of the Overland Campaign, and there are going to be all kinds of programs, Beth. Uh, starting in, uh, in in May, you've got uh, the usual battlefield-type programs that, that, you, that you all just excel in on every single one of them. But there's also going to be spe- there's, there are talks, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you start running down. How, how do you put together a program like this? Because this there have to be a lot of meetings. There are a lot of meetings. <laughs> it just seems like, you know, meet at, meet at 1 o'clock at Beth's office. Oh come, come with ideas for the Overland campaign. I think we're on our sixth or seventh meeting, so I'm so glad you brought that up to the sympathy of my, of my team here because um, some, some of us, you know, enjoy meetings and, um, and some people don't. And yes, so uh, we've, we've gone through six or seven meetings at this point, and it's only February, right? Right. But we started planning this really we all took a bit of a breather post Chancellorsville, but then we started planning in like September. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what we've been doing to try to plan is to take a look at, you know, what are some of the you know, we've talked about some of the really big sort of themes and things going on in eighteen sixty four, but what are some of the real sort of essential questions that we have that that speak to the relevance of this in our times, right? Because we do have a lot of sort of the traditional battle walks, but one of the things that, you know, I think we find is that there are so many different threads that connect to the battlefield, Mm -hmm. but aren't necessarily originating with that fighting to say, okay, how do we look at some of the deeper meanings? And so we actually started off with a list of questions, which I still have at the beginning of sort of our draft schedule, you know, and it's things, it is questions like, you know, why are soldiers enduring the nature of combat in this ongoing campaign? What is the meaning of all the death and destruction? Um, at what price justice? How do we define black citizenship and citizenship that is lacking for indigenous people? And how does the new definition of America apply unequally to different groups of people? And so that's how we start our planning, which I think a lot of people are like, what the what? Wow, I was just <laughs> going to say... <laughs> Wow, to sit in on that meeting and get your wrap your head around all of that. Oh yeah, so we we started with some of that, and then we started thinking about well, who are who are the audiences that come to our programs? And so we have you know our much beloved traditional battlefield trompers, um, you know, who are going to be with us almost. I don't want to say no matter what we do, because I'm sure we could do something terrible and lose lose those people. I know but, you wouldn't, because yeah. I'm one of those people, and you wouldn't lose me. <laughs> well, thanks, Ted. Yeah. Thanks for sticking around. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the people who are, are already in love with the Civil War and really compelled by these stories, and we know, you know, there are certain things that they're going to be looking for. But we're also thinking about, you know, how do we speak to relevance to current generations? And so you actually see for a big part of our planning for this anniversary has been um, doing a whole day of family programming. How do we reach out to students, kids, um, kids of all ages, really? We're looking at planning programming for everything from very young kids to high schoolers. Um, How do we reach out to them? So we're looking at, you know, audiences. We're looking at who is often been underrepresented in our stories. So we're also highlighting um, a partnership with um, the Little Traverse Bay Band of Odawa. We're going to have somebody um, that basically the tribal educator is coming down to uh, participate in our programs Okay, um, and to give a program on, oh gosh, is it Saturday evening? Um, yes. And anyway, or is it Friday evening? Anyway, He's coming down, so that's going to be a highlight of. We our have months to figure this out. We have months <laughs> to flesh Friday this out. Is, uh, Faust. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. It's more that I've lost track of what days things yeah. are. But yeah. Um, so yeah, he'll be giving a program uh, in partnership with us on Saturday. We have, yeah, a highlight, Drew, Dr. Drew Gilpin-Faust, um, the president emeritus of, of um, Harvard. And she's going to be doing a virtual talk for us, talking about these sort of themes of death and how American society copes with the casualties of 1864 and how we look at the war today. Um, which I think will be really incredible. So, yeah, we're trying to, to do these sort of really big picture things and reaching some new audiences while we're at it. Boy, the, the ability to do a virtual talk opens up. And you've done these on a oh, number yeah. of occasions, and you're able to get a lot of – where it would be difficult maybe to bring a person in or maybe just not even feasible financially to bring a person in. You can do these kinds of things, and everybody can participate that wants to. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think we found so helpful is that, you know, say you really are interested in the, in the Overland campaign, but you can't swing a trip to Virginia. Well, we can still give you a program. Um, or, yeah, we want to reach out to um, a really important scholar like Dr. Faust. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe she's not in a position to commit to coming down to the park for a couple of days, um, but she can commit to giving us an hour of her time virtually. So. And something that we find more accessible to uh, to almost everybody and can also really help us to set a tone in an important way for a commemoration. And I look at this this schedule, too, and I'm the one who from from getting up in the morning till going to bed at night will go on all of your tours and go marching, you know, battlefield after battlefield. And you you like i said i mean you you just are you you all are are so spectacular in that but you've more and more started to add some of the the events like the children's activities or the at, at chatham especially setting up camps and things where families can come for for people that they, they either can't do that or don't have that interest you can still learn a lot about a battle or what's happening in that time period by by doing those the activities kinds of kinds yeah. of things yeah we know we recognize that um that there are people out there who have the attention span and desire to spend two hours in the field with us and then there are folks who you know don't have that kind of sustained interest but we still feel that our stories are relevant for them and so how do we design programs for a little bit for everybody i think is is part of what we're trying to do and and yeah just being really cognizant that a lot of our visitors are families and we haven't traditionally built as much um, in the way of programming because you know it's it's hard to contain a five-year-old on an hour and a half long battlefield walk where we're talking about really high level mm -hmm. ideas but if we can have some interactive programming if we can do something that's specifically tailored to families all the better you know come out and and interact with us for a bit well, and to have these programs, uh, and, and, and especially in this situation or with, with the Overland campaign where you you're, you can deal with multiple areas too, you, you learn a lot about I, – I, over the years, I have learned about different, uh, different park service spots that I would drive by and had no idea that there was even a marker there or something happened there. There really are a lot of – I mean, and you're able to do that – to a lesser extent in the in, in in the city with the battle of fredericksburg because there are certain things but boy you start talking about wilderness in chancellorsville there and and, and then spotsylvania courthouse there are all oh, yeah. kinds of spots <laughs> i i still i still find things in at in the at the uh the spotsylvania battlefield that i didn't just just off to the side of uh of the bloody angle that i didn't i didn't know existed 
Oh, yeah. No, it's part of that whole, you know, as Mary was talking about, like this constant contact between the armies. I mean, they're fighting at the wilderness for about two days before they move on. But at Spotsylvania Courthouse, it's more like two weeks. And we have these sort of high points that we talk about, like the fighting at the Bloody Angle or Upton's attack or the attack on May 18th. But in between, you have armies that are that are digging in, that are building extensive earthworks. And those lines are changing, which means that every time the lines change as the result of an attack, it's time to dig in again. And you've got to re-strategize your earthworks. And so everywhere you see, uh, or everywhere you look, you're going to see some traces of the armies or some little bit of of a side action or something like that that you you know maybe didn't know about before um and really at, at spotsylvania i often see that in the form of the earthworks because they are everywhere and they are something that the soldiers have sort of directly left to us i was just gonna say to you because i was out there a few weeks ago and i don't know if it was the time of day and with no leaves on the trees and just the way the sun was but in walking through the woods and then seeing a couple of other spots, I just noticed earthworks were just so pronounced more than I even remember seeing them. The earthworks there are, are really something. And just to imagine that, I mean, we still are so fortunate that 160 years later, they're still visible. Oh, yeah. No, and everywhere you walk, you can just picture, you know, hey, every inch of this dirt is another inch of a soldier that's going to be safe. Um, and that is mm. that is how I look at every one of them of like, yes, this is the product of of both engineering and desperation all put together, you know, on this front. And yes, we have, I want to say it's something like 14 plus miles of earthworks down at Spotsylvania um, as a result of that. And they, they go everywhere. And this is the best time of the year really to to take a look at them, however cold it might be to, to yeah. camp out there. Because you can't, you can't see them. And just, just what, what a great way to describe it, though, of, you know, that I never even thought of that as far as protection goes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's why you see, you know, earlier in the war, you see these debates about whether earthworks are effective or officers concerned that earthworks ruin a good soldier because they won't leave the earthworks and make an attack. But by 1864, I'm sure there are people who are still having that debate, but for the soldiers, it's just pretty point blank of any time we stop, we're digging in because that gives me something to hold on to and that gives us cover. And that is what we need right now is is a defensible position that provides cover. And there, you know, no one is no one is arguing with them. The main argument is how do we lay it out effectively and, yeah. and in the most strategic uh, engineering kind of way. And I always think, because I, I remember years ago, Eric Mink and I had the conversation that that he just said, you know, erosion does take place, trees falling on them and things like oh, that. Yeah. And they're not always going to be here, but we're, we're fortunate to have them now. Yeah. And we do everything we can to, to try to protect them and, and prevent erosion. And yeah, I mean, it's it depends on where you're at, right? Like you can find some tucked away spots in Spotsylvania where you can still pretty much not that you can't, don't walk on the earthworks. I was going to say, but you could don't. stand behind them yeah. and fight from them if you needed to. We also hope that doesn't happen. But you know, um, where they're still tall enough. But then there's other places where, yeah, they've eroded away, or like right at the bloody angle, you see them really shallow because there are reports of of basically seeing so many um, bodies in the earthworks that they mm -hmm. just tip the works over and bury people there mm. uh, where they're at on the field. Um, which is a testament to, you know, again, kind of circling us back to that, the horrific fighting that we see in 1864, the mass numbers of casualties and losses um, to where you, you know, what's what's the best way to, to give folks a burial might just be to tip over the earthworks on them. Mm. 
That's the that's like you like you say it's the, the the bloodiness and just just the what 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 happened in this in in this war and that's one of the great things about being able to walk on the battlefield and read the signs and to, to realize and sometimes just stop there and look at it and you just when you're there it's it's very peaceful and quiet yeah but it wasn't always like that yeah it almost belies what what actually happened in these places or or a, a couple of places on the battlefield where there are there still are the foundations when there were where there were where there were homes where people lived yeah absolutely we've i mean all of our our whole park is dotted with small farms um homes you know places where um, small farmers lived where plantations were where there were enslaved people um free black people you know we had um, every every battlefield is somebody's home, and they have not just a vested stake in what happens on that particular ground, but also what happens to to the nation or nations as they conceive it. We will do programs over the next few months that lead up to and and, and talk about specific things that are, that are taking place. But one thing I do want to point out that on May 18th, History at Sunset, well, there will be a program. I am so excited about History at Sunset <laughs> coming back and starting in May. I don't know how many programs there'll be, but the fact that it's starting in May. Yeah, we're I, still working on planning those out. But yeah, but that one we've got. Yeah, um, and we've got a we've got a tentative list going. Speaking of getting, speaking of putting programs together, I mean, just to, to put these programs together, to put a History at Sunset program together, is. Because it's it, it deals with uh, it's 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 a long it's a couple hour program, and so you got to put a lot of there's there's got to be a lot of a lot of energy and a lot of information compiled to be able to do a program. Yeah, it's it's a lot of of research. I mean, our staff it does does really amazing work. I mean, we have people going to archives. We have people who are working um, transcribing things you know, copies of things that we already have. Um, I think that's one of the things that I love about working here is our, our staff is is really so passionate about the subject. Um, and we'll do a lot of this, this research work. So it is, yeah, mm-hmm. giving an hour and a half program, even if there's a walk in there, you know, it's, they're unique programs. They're often aspects of the battles that we don't cover in our normal daily programs Mm -hmm. so doing something special like that does take a ton of brain power and research and dedication we are going to take a quick break and now wrap this up we're talking about the uh 160th anniversary of the overland campaign fredericksburg and spotsylvania national military park here this morning beth parnitza and mary o'neill here we'll be back on news talk 1230 wfv this is Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. Download the all-new News Talk 1230 WFVA app for Apple and Android. Text your comments or questions directly to the studio at 540-371-5756. And now, here's your host, Ted Schubel. Beth Parnitza here this morning, Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park, the 160th anniversary of the uh, the Overland campaign as we have talked about this morning boy there are just there are a, a lot of stories and uh, even if you come into this spring thinking nah, I'm not I'm not all that interested in history the fact that this all took place right here yes. should interest you in some way and in what however you remember history classes in school the National Military Park you all in particular do just such a good job 
of personalizing it and in, in, in talking about locations and people and lives. Yeah, you know, I would just say to folks, and I and obviously I'm biased. I'm very passionate about the Civil War, uh, but you know, to me, we're looking at. I mean, it's 2024, y'all. Like we have a divided world at the moment. Mm-hmm. We have conflicts going on internationally. We have an election year that's likely to be a pretty hot topic for everybody. And a lot of these things, you can draw parallels to the experiences of people in the 19th century. They're struggling with some of the same things that we are, um, navigating a world that is is in some ways unfamiliar to them, um, in some ways radically different. Uh, they're trying to find the right footing to move forward. They're trying to figure out what their nation's going to look like over the next few years. Um, they're trying to to determine their own values in a in a world that has dramatically changed. And I think these are things that that still speak to us today. Um, those experiences resonate over time, you know, and and beyond that, you know, there are some there are some very direct parallels, again, like the, the political divides, the election year context, the kind of questions around emancipation and race in America. These are all things that we're still sorting out. And, you know, you can you can look to the past to see how how other people have handled this. Um, it's not going to be direct lessons learned necessarily, mm-hmm. but you can see things that I think will speak to you. Um, to see how how other people have have addressed these things, where where things have been finished, where things have been left unfinished, and you know what, how America was built um, by what took place, yeah, in a very local sense for us, and I think that's something that can resonate for anybody through the through the years, and whether you can come and spend an hour with us, you know, between May third through fifth, or you want to spend the whole weekend with us, we're happy to have you. No, they they all they all are, are, are really good programs. They do they 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 make you think. You 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 look at you look at Civil War pictures and you look at, at pictures of the soldiers and the families and you just look at them differently because they're like us and they're trying to you know piece this together and just just live around here and yeah. all this fighting is taking place. Yeah, I mean it's 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 incredible to think about the amount of of refugees who are, are taking to the countryside. You know, things that we typically see on the TV that are happening somewhere else were happening in Spotsylvania County in 1864 um, and really in the years prior to that as well. You know, and yeah. how how these sort of really big decisions get made are through the actions of, of everyday people. And I think that's also an inspiring message to say, you know, these these folks who have self-emancipated, they are making the determination of what the next steps might look like for themselves. And these are stories that we can see in a world where it can feel very helpless. Um, we can see that the actions of individual people really matter. You ought to also um, like and follow the uh, the Facebook page for the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park. Great stuff. Last week you had a, I think it was last week, you had a, um, a, a, a letter that, that uh, President Lincoln wrote to Hooker where he talked about how disappointed he was in him. And I mean, it's just it was it's just fascinating to look at that kind of stuff that you have access to. So, oh, yeah, you know, and we're building more digital content on our website and Facebook, um, all all in anticipation of our events this May and, you know, looking for ways that even if you can't make it to the park, you know, yeah, you can read stuff on social media, yeah. you can check out an article online we'll still have some options for you. And we'll do many more programs in the next few months talking about this. Thanks, Beth, for coming in, and we'll, we'll do much more. Thank you for what you do. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us, Rick. 
Beth Parnitza with the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park. Mary, Mary O'Neill also here this morning. The 160th anniversary of the Overland campaign coming up. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening to Town Talk on News Talk 1230 WFVA. The views expressed by the hosting guests on this program are their own and not necessarily those of this station, its management, or Centennial Broadcasting. Hear the show anytime by subscribing to the Town Talk podcast on your favorite podcast platform. The Glenn Beck program is next on News Talk 1230 WFVA, focused on Fredericksburg.